I still remember walking across the campus at Corona High School through the quad out to near uh, one of the brick buildings that was closer to the parking lot. And there sitting in a circle were all the kids that I knew went to the youth group that I had just gone to the week before. This was a big move for me because I was walking away from an old group of friends that I'd known since elementary school to step into a new group of people. Now, my old friends, it was common to use the F word for an adjective, a, vowel, a noun, uh, a vowel, you, you name it. it. It could be used in an entire sentence in any place you wanted. It, when my old friends, uh, it was easy to simply talk about certain unseemly things in life and nobody would bat an eye, everybody would laugh. Uh, as I walked into this group, I'd already understood, hey, my language needed to change. I needed to begin to take on a different approach to, to life and to my vocabulary and things like that. Only I didn't realize I couldn't say like the word hell in a certain way, or I couldn't use the word, the D word, you know, these things. And suddenly I was told all kinds of words that I needed to replace with hokey or hockey sticks or you name it. It was the funniest thing in the world coming from this very crass secular environment into this very strict, in a sense, Christian environment. And I managed my way through it. It was kind of interesting. But to be quite honest, it's always stuck with me how much your community shapes you. Now, I don't think we were doing everything correct in that Christian community. I know we weren't doing anything right in the secular community I was in. But the bottom line was that this, this shaping on my life didn't leave. But it affected the way I did youth ministry. It's affecting the way that I approach people now as I meet them outside of, outside of the church and outside of Christ. And it reminds me of how easily I'm changed and shaped by my community. See, in this series, we're talking about knowing you. And we're discussing the idea that if you don't know who you are, you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're going. If you don't understand who you are, you can't figure out what direction you're supposed to head in spiritual development and spiritual growth. And so in this particular portion, this third factor we're bringing in as we've talked about us in the image of God and our soul and us in the image of God and our body. Now I want to talk about us in the image of God with our community because here's our bottom line. To develop spiritually, we need to know ourselves rightly. And part of knowing yourself rightly is knowing yourself in community. In fact, Community is all over the central passage that we've been looking at in both Romans and Genesis. In fact, take a look at this Romans passage. I add a little bit to it to kind of help us out uh, to show you kind of the plural that's found there. I appeal to you, therefore, uh, brothers. Notice the plural. This is to the community. By the mercies of God to present all y'all's bodies. There's, there's the plural again. i got to use that kind of southern in order to get the point across. As living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is all y'all's spiritual worship. It's all of our spiritual worship to bring our bodies before the Lord, to use them for Him. All y'all don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, my mind, singular, that by testing all y'all may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And he goes on to say, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among, all, among y'all, making sure he's talking to all of us again, to not, think of, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So back to the personal. But to think with sober judgment. So each of us are supposed to think of ourselves and understand ourselves individually, but we have to remember we are in an all-y'all environment. We're all in this together. There is a community that conforms. There is a community that shapes us. There's a community of this world and a community in our church and a community 
all around us that makes a lot of impact on who we are. In fact, this is clear that we were made this way according to our passage that I want you to go to today and keep there and stay there in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 1. Again, we're back to this core passage. We're talking about the image of God. And so I want you to see Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28. And what we're looking at here is, again, there's a corporate image in here. Let's start off in verse 26. It says that, the Lord God, and then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So look, notice this, there's this plural, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. Image of God, he created him. There's the singular. Male and female, he created them. There's the plural. And God blessed them and said to them, suddenly now we're into the corporate. And what I want you guys to see here is that God designed us, not as individual at the beginning, but as corporate, as a society, as a group. And, and it's important that we see this because we are the image of God. And God is a trinity. Here, right here, we have this idea that God is an us. He's speaking internally to the Trinity, maybe speaking also to this corporate angelic host that he's created, but he's ultimately not, not talking within himself in the Trinity. And what we see here is that he is saying, I'm ready to make humanity in my image, which implies that if God is an eternal community in the Trinity, then so we must be a people who need community. In fact, this is critical because that community that would grow from this first pair of Adam and Eve, we would call the world. It'll ultimately get broken. It'll ultimately fall because they will fall. And that will start to conform us and shape us. As we saw, don't be conformed to this world, Paul is telling us. So what do we do? The answer a lot of people thought was, well, that means we need to be by ourselves. In fact, there's a famous uh, original mystic or saint, his name is St. Anthony. He was uh, looking at the Roman Empire, seeing how people were beginning to get wealthy and looking at the church, and he figured, you know what, I'm just going to abandon all this. I'm going to go out into the desert and fight, you know, off Satan and my own spiritual power with Jesus, you know, kind of thing. And he literally isolated himself from the church, became the first monastic, a monk, and decided that, hey, we, we need to do this. We need to be ascetic and, and fast and all these things. Well, St. Anthony was known for great powers and great miracles and these kinds of things. Ultimately, it didn't stay alone. Everybody started flocking to become a monk. And monks created entire monasteries and created entire communities because we are not designed to be alone. Even when we want to run from the world, we end up building a community. And that community ultimately became corrupt and started acting like, yep, you guessed it, the world. And that's the problem with what we're looking at here. We cannot be conformed. To this world. And so we need to be diligent. We need to understand our community. We need to understand the world that surrounds us and its community. And we need to remember one simple thing, to not be deceived, that bad company ruins good morals. And so let's not be conformed to it. And so let's look at good community and bad community. Let's examine this so we can know ourselves. Because community conforms. So we need to know our community rightly, right? This is our goal, that you would have a chance to understand who your community is, what, what they are, how you exist in your community, and what you're going to be doing. So these three parts we're going to dive in. We're going to take some time to look at 
how we should examine these and build the right boundaries and stuff and how we can influence them. And that's really what I want to aim you guys at today to help you understand yourself in your community. And so first, I want you to start with identifying your community and your roles. This is important because you're, you and I honestly many times examine our where God put us. And we begin to actually define ourselves by our roles in our community and stuff. And we, we start to think, well, I'm part of this group. That must mean I identify and I am this group. That's not the case because you have always more than one community. In fact, when we look at this, as we identify our community and our roles, as this community spread in Genesis, we see that different communities form. First of all, it says, God blessed them. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply. There it is in our text. Um, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the ground. Right? And what we see here is two communities. One is the family community. And that family community grows so large, it becomes jobs. It becomes a dominion. That's a kingdom. It becomes rules. And all these different things grow out of it. And so we have different communities. And I want to identify three communities that you and I are engaged with regularly. The first community is the natural community. Right here, be fruitful and multiply, builds the natural community. Everyone has a mom and a dad. Everybody. Even if they were born from a test tube, they have a dad out there biologically somewhere. They have a mom out there biologically somewhere. No one is born without a mom and a dad. And so what we see here is that we have a family a genetic, natural reality of a family. And this can be a huge family. Like you can be talking about cousins and aunts and uncles and, and you know, like grandmother-in-laws and stuff. Like in my family, we all live near here. And so I'm constantly getting like 1,000 text messages from my extended family. Sometimes we look at the medium-sized family. That just, you know, limits it down to your parents and you and your sisters and your kids and, you know, kind of that, that one Christmas party you're going to do as the family Christmas party on both sides or whatever. Uh, or you can look at it as the nuclear family, the small family. For some of you who aren't married, that includes your parents and your sisters and brothers. But for others who have gotten married and you have children, that's, that's that central family right there. So you could look at a small, medium, large. But all of this is your natural community. All this is the natural family God gave you. And we need to see that and, and understand, hey, okay, that's a community. You need to write that down. I have a natural community. And we need to keep that in mind because these three communities, these three buckets I'm giving you are really going to help you kind of evaluate and look at who you are in these. The second I want to point out are the built communities, right? So we have these built communities that come out of, you know, subduing the earth and, and dominion. That's kind of like having friends. Those, that's a built community. Work, that's a built community. We have uh, employees or you are a part of a work team. You have these various people around you. We could be talking about different hobbies and you're gathering for sports. You, we can be talking about your neighborhood, political affiliations. All of these things are built communities. They're not natural. They come because you have an affinity or a desire or a connection and you join it. And so these communities are ones that we have to identify. And there's going to be a lot of them. So many, in fact, our culture focuses on those built communities before any others. We're ready to volunteer for our kids' sports team. We're ready to get out there and go to work. We're ready to go do something to fill our tank with our, our enjoyment or our hobbies or whatever, almost before we're ready to do anything for the natural family. And it especially gets confusing when we start to think in the built family is the church, and it's not. In fact, I want to tell you the third most important or the third community the most important community is the spiritual community 
And what we see here is the spiritual community is the church, both local and global. It's, it's small, medium, and large as well. And what we see here is that we, this is a, a, not just a community of built things. This is something God brings about as his family. He says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, and, and you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household, the family of God. So we could view it as we come into a greater kingdom. We've come into a greater family. You are the image of God. You are the children of God if you've received Jesus Christ and his work that he's done on the cross to take your sin and your guilt, make you a child of God, make you into a saint, into a member of the household of God, then you stand in a new position. You stand in a new family. In fact, that family becomes the greatest family because that's the family that will never go away, as we'll see in a second. And so we can think of these local families. You can divide it down again. You can say, okay, well, in the spiritual family, I have communities as well, right? I, I am a I'm, I may not be in a ministry, but I still go to church. Well, you're part of the church family. You're still a child of God. That is a community portion, these kinds of things. Now, I want you to grasp these and get these communities in your mind, the spiritual, the built, and the natural. Once we have these three categories down, that's going to help you begin to take the next step and look at the roles. But even before we do that, I need to remind us, some of you are going, it doesn't work like that for me, Greg. My, I, my natural family's broken. It's horrible. It's a mess. And I get that. In fact, our generation has gotten to the place where we replace families. Okay. In my case, the built work community is actually under the spiritual community totally because I work at a church. It's a spiritual community. It's not just a work community. And so, we need to understand that those are somewhat different and different for all of us. Some of you literally have Friendsgiving instead of Thanksgiving because your friends are closer to you than your family was. And it's because your family's so broken. But I can't allow us to ignore that we have all three of these categories. Even if your family is broken, even if some of these things overlap, I want you to list them out because you still have a responsibility because each of us plays a role, even in our broken families, even with our friends. And that's where I want us to go next, that we see that God gave us roles, that we want to list out under each community these roles. You'll be doing this in your small groups. I hope that you've been joining in one and you're doing it either online or in person. But here's what we see. God created man in his own image. That's a role. We, we represent God. That's a role that we, we take on. He blessed them, right? He, he called them male and female, created them, and he blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. That's a role. You're, you're supposed to be a family, and we're going to have roles in that family. You're fill the earth and subdue it. You're going to have roles in those areas. We have these roles in all of these communities, and I want you to understand your role. I want you to take a step back and say, well, God put me in this community and I need to understand what my role is in this community. It isn't you, but it's a part of you. This is interesting because when we approach someone, you ever noticed what we love to say? We say, hey, how you doing? My name is so-and-so. Oh, how? so what do you do for a living? We want their role. We may ask, oh, and they go like, you get all embarrassed. You're like, well, you know, I, I actually am home with my kids. You're expressing your role and there's a seeming value system and all that stuff. And I just want to set that aside for a minute. The roles have no value necessarily. They are just what we are doing in the communities. And we need to list those roles and be honest about those roles and lay them out as the image bearers of God. And so every community has a role. For example, your family, your natural community, you're going to have roles. Look, in mine, I have, I listed out about 11 different roles. I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, 
right? I'm a son. I'm a son-in-law. I'm a brother. I'm a brother-in-law. I'm a breadwinner in the sense that I'm the only one who, who's, who's out doing the work. My wife is the teacher. She's the homemaker. She is the designer. I mean, she's got other roles that I don't have. And so what we need to realize is that I'm an uncle. I'm a nephew. I'm all these things. And that can get overwhelming when you look at all the roles. But I want us to understand that these are all the ways that God has placed us in the middle of that community. To see all those roles listed out will begin to help us understand maybe what we're avoiding or ignoring and maybe aspects that we need to correct as we get into this later. But family roles can, can spread out. So can roles in a built community. If you just take your built community of work, some of you are bosses. Some of you are employees. Some of you are middle management. Some of you have roles that are basically, you're like the office counselor, or you're the person who, um, who makes it fun. You're the party manager, whatever. You get all kinds of interesting roles in work. Do you know your role? Do you understand your job description? Do you know what you're doing and why you're doing it? The same thing goes with your friends. Well, who are you with your friends? Are you, guy, are you the, the guy who gets everybody together? Are you the one who's just there to, to like, and tag along or you're the supplier. Sometimes we play roles amongst our friends. Sometimes we play roles in the idea of just our, our built community of, ah, let's just say our, you're going off with the, the, the sports team with your kids. You're the, you're the team mom. You're, you're the champion for, your, for that team. Or you may need to be the coach or the, uh, the assistant coach. You name it. We all have a role. And it's important we identify those roles. Even in the spiritual community, you have roles. Even if you're not a member of the church here at Olive Branch, even if you're not coming physically all the time, you have a role. First and foremost, in the spiritual community, you're the role is to be a child of God. Your role is to put all the other roles and everything else in your life under God because He calls us, whatever we do, to do it for the glory of God. Our call is to indeed allow those roles to be under all the roles that we have as a spiritual family. Now, some of you have a ministry. Some of you are engaged in, in the church and you just come. Well, are you taking notes? Are you engaged in the role as a churchgoer that God's called you to? Are you engaged as a disciple as God's called you to? Know those roles because you have, with each of those roles, a responsibility. But before I dive into those, realize that you may have roles you don't even like. And you're going to avoid writing them down. But here's the thing. We all have roles we don't like. Some of you didn't want to be the single mom but you are. My kids didn't want their birth order. They didn't want to be the oldest brother or the youngest brother or the sister or the, you know, they wanted other, other roles in the family. Some of you didn't want to have to go to work. You wanted to stay home and care for your kids. Uh, many of us struggle with our roles because we have all these assumed roles that you need to have versus understanding God gave you roles that don't have value. And so some of you moms, you're, you're feeling awful and guilty because you're doing a role that you wish you didn't have to do because our culture is pushing that direction. And some of you dads feel guilty because your wife doesn't get to do the role she wants to do or you aren't getting to do the job you've always wanted to do. Some of us have just came to the fact that we're working in ways that we never thought we would. And now we have a role that we never thought we wanted. Some of us are bosses and we didn't even want to be bosses. There's all kinds of weird things that come with roles. And this can be very painful. 
And we'll talk about the wounds next week, but I really want you just to kind of list them down so you get an idea of all the roles that you're doing. You're going to feel tension. You're going to see all kinds of stuff, and you're going to start feeling stressed as you look at the responsibilities under each role because roles are just a title for all the things that people are asking us to do in our different communities. Do you ever want to know why you're stressed? Do you really want to know why you say you're tired all the time? Because we have multiplied the amount of roles and responsibilities that we have to a point where, to be quite honest, they can be unmanageable. So all these roles have a responsibility. You know, we have a responsibility in His image to do things the way God would do them, to live out with our character the way Christ would call us to have that character. We have this section where we're made male and female. There's a responsibility in those roles as we're fruitful and multiplying, as parents, as people who are married, and as grandparents, you name it. We have roles in our work. All these roles produce all these responsibilities that quite honestly overwhelm us. You ever wondered why you're stressed? You ever wondered why you're, you're just overwhelmed? Because the roles that we've taken on are too many and the responsibilities around those are so great that we are overwhelmed. So I want you to step back, be able to look at these communities, these three sections, and look at the roles in them and the responsibilities and begin to prior to prioritize them correctly. Jesus does this. He was challenged by the Pharisees. He said, hey, you know, should we, uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar, you know, all this stuff? And Jesus... So talking about like the roles, right? As a spiritual person versus this military thing and, and they're pagans and we're Christians. Like, what do we do here? And he said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Look, there are roles that you need to work well for your boss and there are roles where you need to do right before God. All roles, I believe, ultimately fall as, spir as spiritual roles because we're ch God's children. We're children of God. First and foremost, if you're going to prioritize things, everything ultimately falls under, well, what does God think about this? As you look at your roles, you look at your responsibilities, and you put the spiritual first. Too often, we want to put it last. And what I love is I've seen many people start to grasp this as we've started dealing with mandates for vaccines and different things like that. And some people have a conviction that, man, I need to love my neighbor and I need to go get that and I'm going to do that. And they're coming in agonizing because there's fetal, fetal, um, fetal stem cell lines and stuff going on and they're wrestling through the abortion things as it comes to these. Other people are wrestling with going like, I don't feel like I should take it because of that. And they're coming to the church to look for help. They're coming to the church to ask questions. You know, I'd love to see that as we come to the situations in our small groups, to our spiritual community, to our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're like, hey, I'm counseling this person at, at, at work, and I don't really know how to help them. Or, you know what, this guy, neighbor is suffering. How can my spiritual family help them out? This is how the spiritual comes first. Everything else starts to work under it because we're going to stand before God ultimately for our work and our built communities, for our friends, for our neighborhoods, for our sports teams. Now, I would say the spiritual comes first and then you put your family second. But in our culture, family comes far before church. I've watched a lot of people come into church for a little while just to go out and take their kids to their sports games, to their other things. And honestly, I go like, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, we, we, we got a commitment. We want to teach them to uphold their commitments and learn their skills. Great. But don't we have a commitment to the spiritual family before our physical family, our natural family? And people are like, no, no, no. Actually, if you'll talk to someone who has a broken family, you'll find the spiritual family is far more needed. And yet what we do with our natural families is we ignore our single brothers and sisters, our damaged family members who don't have a family to go to. And instead of 
seeing the spiritual family as part of the whole and bringing the natural family into that, we ignore them and they don't have anywhere to go. So we want to include people, our natural family, after the spiritual family, in with the spiritual family, because God's calling us to live rightly as parents, to live rightly as husbands and wives, to live rightly in these ways. And then when your natural family fits with that spiritual family, you're going to find those responsibilities change because you're seeking to please God in love, and that love is going to flow into that family, and ultimately it's going to flow into work. You won't go to work for success and value and meaning. You'll go to work to care for your family, to promote the spiritual family and the gospel. You'll go to work to glorify God. You'll go be with those friends to connect and to love on them, to be fed and connect, all these beautiful things that come when we order and organize first. Because if I challenge you to improve in your roles, you're going to be overwhelmed. But what I want you to do first is see the spiritual, the family, and then the built communities in that order and take one thing, one role out of each one and seek to grow. Seek to improve, seek to develop so that you can begin to evaluate and see where you need to grow and where you need to move because God's calling us to see where we're at and who we are. And now that we see it, I go, oh my gosh, I'm a dad. I need to improve as a dad, as a spiritual dad. Oh my goodness, I'm a pastor. I need to improve as a pastor or a preacher, you name it. Oh, I need to improve as a friend. I can do three things in a year and then continue to grow. And that's my challenge for you, that you can begin to develop a plan in a spiritual community, in your family community, in your work community, so that you can develop in one role in each one of those three areas. If you'll do that, I think you'll begin to see, wow, there's a lot to grow in. And here at Olive Branch, we want to be able to help you and point you in the right direction. So we have all kinds of ministries to enable you to do just that. Now, that means this. We want to remember that we want to grow spiritually, so we need to understand our community rightly. We need to get that down so we understand that community conforms us. So stay close to the right community. Not only that priority, but with time. Um, in fact, the right community is the community that's going to encourage you. It's, the right, it's going to develop you. Notice how the author of Hebrews puts it. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. And what he's saying is, look, this is how we stir each other to, do, to love, to do good, not to get away from each other, to draw near to each other so we can encourage one another. This is for church. It's for small groups. This is for even friendship groups. This is our best communities. They spiritually stir us up. They move us to the good. They move us to bless others. They move us to care for others. They could be secular friends who are helping you do what is good. That's okay. The good is still God's good. We can see this happening at work. I hope you're working in a place that's pointing you to the good. If you're working in a place that's producing evil, get out of that place. You want to engage with a company or a community that's producing good. And so you want to engage in these places by seeing them as an encouragement and as a development. And you can do this. You, you can, uh, one of our ladies in our church in the public school district started a Bible study at lunch. And it grew and it became an encouragement to each other. They would pray for each other, bless each other, and develop each other. And it grew to multiple dozens of people coming at lunch in this one school because they wanted to have the time with the Word of God and each other. You can see these communities in any place. And so that doesn't mean that we don't need to have boundaries. Look, communities conform us. They conform us to the world. They can have bad aspects. And so no wonder Paul warns us. He says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 
What partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship is light with darkness? Now, this is an interesting image. What he's saying is don't tie yourself so intimately and carefully with someone else that you're pulling in two directions. When you're unequally yoked, it means that you want to go one way and the other person wants to go the other. What happens when you're partnered in a business and your goal is to glorify God and their goal is to make a heck of a lot of money and suddenly you think you're doing great and this person's ripping people off, that hurts your goals and your aims. Why in the world would we fellowship and go to parties and drunken orgies and junk where we know it's wrong and we're like, ah, you know, whatever, I I can go there and it doesn't affect me. Don't, Don't put these things together. They don't lock together. And so this is what Paul is saying. There are certain relationships that we need to build boundaries with that we don't need to be a part of. We don't need to be a peace with. Now, this may be the fact that you've gotten married to a non-Christian. I'm not saying you get a divorce. That is not what I'm saying. But I'm saying you need to be aware that you're going to have a pull. You want to go after Christ, and they have a different direction. And so you need to study the scriptures. How should you respond? How should you act? In what way do you care for someone in your life who is a non-Christian that is intimate like that? But this is also to those of, a warning to those of you who aren't married yet. Don't get married to a non-Christian. Don't put yourself in a scenario where you're pulling in two directions because one of two things will happen. Either you'll have a frustrated marriage and they may come to Christ, so three, but most, most likely what I've seen is the person who's the strongest pulls the other person in a bad direction. And we need to have boundaries in these cases. There are cases where in the spiritual community you need to have boundaries. Look, there are rotten churches out there that harm people, that lock us down into guilt trips, that shove us into legalism, that don't allow us to live free in Christ. There are churches out there that honestly are going to um, hide sinister evil in their church and you're going to get harmed. And you know what? If you're harmed in a church and it hurts you and you can't continue to grow, I've advised people even at Olive Branch, where it's like they've gone through some difficult stuff and transitions and different things. And I've said, look, this isn't the place for you. You need to go somewhere where you can grow. It's all the spiritual community, but commit somewhere where you can trust that leadership and go. And that is the case. In some cases, we need to build a healthy boundary. We need to build healthy boundaries with kids. We need to build healthy boundaries in uh, certain ministries where we can't let people treat us in certain ways. And we definitely need to build healthy boundaries with our secular friends. Look, as you evaluate the built communities around you, why are you with them? Why are you connected with them? Because to be honest, if you're finding abuse, if you're finding harm, get out. If you're finding they're pulling you more than you are pulling them, if you're finding you're being corrupted, you're engaging in sin because of the community you're hanging out with, don't stay in it. Notice what it says about the blessed man. Blessed is the man who does who walks not. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He's not getting advice from his secular buddies. He's not standing in the way of sinners, meaning he's hanging out with them when they're doing bad things, nor is he sitting in the seat of scoffers, meaning he's joined them completely and is completely comfortable in their community to do the things they're doing. If you find when you're around your built communities of work, when you're around your built communities of friends, that you start cussing, that you start getting drunk, that you start acting like the secular world, you need to draw a boundary because you're a Christian. And your spiritual community, your spiritual commitment as a son or daughter of God comes first. In fact, you're living out of that. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to break you. And you're going to struggle. And so I want to call you to be aware who's pulling you. How much time are you spending? How are you acting around them? Draw the appropriate boundaries in the community. Because ultimately, we want to be the ones swaying. 
not being swayed. And that's, that's why I don't tell people get out of, out of secular communities, don't stop hanging out with your friends who are, who are non-Christians. No, how would, we do, how would we reach people for Christ if, if we were only hanging out in the church? No, but we need to be aware if they're, if they're swaying us. We need to be aware if we've bound ourselves together with them. And so let me challenge us with this last piece then. Don't leave your group if, if, you, if they're not swaying you, but sway the group. Bring it with you. See, community conforms, so be an agent of change in your community. Be an agent of change that shapes that community around you. You don't have to be conformed. You're being transformed by the Word of God. You're being transformed by the spiritual community. You've been transformed by Christ. Now you can begin to be a transforming agent in their lives. You can begin to bring the character of Christ in to sway those people, to move them. Notice how, um, I love how... Uh, Colossians puts it. He, he says, in, in your built communities, in your workplace, work hard. Whatever you do, work heartily. That's for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you'll receive an inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. Back when I was working in the secular world, I was pretty young at the time, uh, I wrote on my little monitor, who do you work, for? who's your boss? As a reminder, I'm not working for these guys, I'm working for the Lord because I was trying to do my best for them. My boss literally walks by and goes, why you got up that up there? That doesn't make any sense. I'm your boss. I'm like, well, and I had to explain it to him because I wanted to commit to the Lord my work first and then to my boss second. And so this is the critical thing. Are you working heartily? Are you going after it? Are you trying to improve in your job? Or are you just kind of cruise controlling? Why as Christians would we not seek to be the most influential, the best people to keep around? We would want people to say, oh my goodness, we want to hire Christians. They're committed and they are ready to do the things that make this company good and work well. We, we suggest strong and, and powerful things so that we can shape our community and bring the character of Christ in. We do this even in our families. Why would you just halfway do it as a parent or halfway do it as a husband? Why wouldn't we be a halfway Christian? We want to work heartily even after our spiritual life. We want to be after it. Give us some gusto. Give us some engagement, right? So we want to honor the Lord in our workplaces, in our built communities, in our friendships. We want to be after that. In addition to that, we want to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Now, that means seeing carefully what they're doing and not joining them, but we want to make best use of the time. So let your speech always be gracious. Don't condemn. Be kind. Uh, gracious assault, make them thirsty so each person knows how they ought to answer each person. Answer their questions because you're treating them well, you're caring about them, you're, you're thinking about them, and you're not falling into cussing habits, and you're not falling into drinking habits, or whatever. But you are engaging with that person rightly. We want to be salt and light. We want to be tasty. We want to be able to bring people in your neighborhood, your friendships. We want to walk with wisdom by showing off that character of Christ, by allowing the love and the peace and the patience and all those things to shine through. Now, we also want to be a change agent in our family. You don't want to just let your natural family sit around. Like I said, we want to give it some gusto there as well. And so I would challenge you to get engaged with the scriptures. You know, if you're looking at becoming a better husband, read the texts on, hus on husbands and wives. Uh, if you want to be a better wife, be a, read, read the text on being better wives. You want to be a better parent, study how God's a parent to Israel. You want to be a better leader, you know, in these kinds of things in your home. Hey, then step up, study how you can develop in your role. There's plenty of information in the scriptures and lots of amazing books out there to help us do that. We have an entire family ministry to help us do these things. How do you be a better single? All this stuff is in the scriptures. And we want to challenge you to go there, to take, uh, take it on and move deeper in that role and, and to be a change agent, 
to sway your family. Disciple your kids. Your, um, one, one of the friends I have is, is awesome because he actually literally is discipling his, his nephews and niece. And he is a single guy, and he has made a big difference because he's been willing to disciple them. That, that's taking on a role, seriously, and, and seeing where he can step in and do some great stuff. And I appreciate that. That's an incredible blessing. Now, that doesn't mean we don't want to ignore the spiritual community. Yes, we want to be a change agent in the spiritual community as well. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul puts it this way. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, so my job is to equip you guys. The staff's job is to equip you. And each part is working properly as you guys are doing ministry and caring. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we want to speak to one another boldly. We want to care for each other. We want to build each other up. We want to serve. And I want to encourage you. It's part of your spiritual community. Maybe it's to step in. Take on a role. Take on a task to care for one another. As we look at looking at needing to start a third service, you may be watching this online, plan on coming back. Well, we would ask you to come to two services. Spend time caring for kids in one, minute, in one class and come and get fed at the service. You know, maybe come and greet at one, one during one service and go and uh, engage in, in the service in the next one. Serve one, go to the other. It's as simple as that. And so we get is this opportunity to engage so where we use our gifts and care for one another. And we begin to engage and help one another out. And so I want to encourage you, use your words, use your skills, use what God has given you. As we've looked at who we are in our bodies, he calls us to use them together in the church. And when we do that, we invest in a great way. I, I want you to realize that somebody invested in you spiritually. And somebody invested you in you naturally, whether it was good or not. And, and people have invested in you. You have a friend that you care about. You have probably a family member who has done well towards you. You likely have a very, uh, a, a somebody spiritually who has directed and cared in your heart. Remember those people now, how they influenced you. Because they swayed you. They moved you. They, they shaped you. In the same way, we want to be that for someone else. For me, my mom was one of those people. And because of how she raised me, because of how she cared for me and she prayed over me, my way of reading the scriptures, my way of talking and teaching has affected all of you. Because this is how it flows from one to another as we know our communities. We understand who we are in our community. We understand our roles and responsibilities. And we can be the best that we can be in those communities and make God glorified in them. And that's my prayer for you guys as we uh, close out this section on community. I hope that you have a, just an awesome opportunity to engage and evaluate that. Let me pray over you. Father, I just thank you that we have this chance to really understand the communities you've given to us. Bless us as we seek to understand our roles and responsibilities. Help us not be overwhelmed, but to rightly prioritize so that you would be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. And for those of you who are exclusively our online community, um, we know that it's kind of hard to get connected with people and see people. You don't get to come to service, eyeball and go, oh, I've missed you, I haven't seen you. And some of you have literally been in your home for, for a very long time now. Get out here and there and you get to run into somebody, but for safety reasons, you just have not re-engaged at the church um, in the physical presence. And, and we want to let you know that we know you're there. But we also want to help you guys see who else is there. So we are inviting you to an online Zoom gathering on uh, uh, the 26th. 
and it's gonna be at 2 p.m. And what we're asking you guys is sign up with us. Let us know you're coming. We wanna be able to pray and, and connect. We've got some a uh, small outline of time just to, so we can identify and connect and, and talk a little bit. It's gonna be a, a, just a gathering on Zoom so we can at least see, hey, you can see each other and go, oh my goodness, I haven't seen you. Just as an opportunity to kind of have that passing moment and that bit of connection. We, we miss you guys. We want to have that connection as staff, and we want to have that connection uh, with each other as well. And so here's how what you do. You're going to text Zoom uh, to the number at the bottom of the screen here, and you're going to sign up in that way, and it'll give you a link to the meeting. Then you come join us, and we just want to uh, just spend some time together. We want to have some fun. We want to connect, and I would love for you guys to be there. We'll tell you more as, as it gets closer, but we're just glad you've been with us. And may the Lord bless you as you get into your communities and understand what God has given you. Have a great rest of your week, and we will see you next week.